Greetings, everyone, and welcome to this week's edition of Ask Shane Anything right here on Sifted Games at Sifted.net. Of course, I'm Shane Satterfield, and you're asking me the questions. Uh, this show happens because some of you guys pledge at $7 or more per month at our Patreon at patreon.com sifted, and we are very thankful for all of you guys who are pledging at that amount. Without you guys, this show wouldn't happen. Now, we take questions from everybody, and in fact, if you want to ask questions for the show, head to sifted.net, and there's a link right in the header you can click that'll take you to our forums where you can ask me a question. Now, we take questions from everybody. If we have two that we kind of like the same, though, we do err on the side of the people who are pledging at that $7 or more per month. And, of course, everybody gets to watch the archive. So, as I said in last week's episode, things are going to change in February. We're not going to be doing this show every week. Um, but until the end of January, we will, and we have another awesome round of questions from you guys. Let's get to them. Our first question for this episode and the first question from him in 2024, here he is, is Kevin. How do you tackle games when you have to talk about them for Game Face? Do you take notes on a piece of paper when playing, or do you write notes on your phone or computer? Do you have headlines written down like music, gameplay, etc.? I'm surprised nobody has ever asked me this before. Sort of the process of how does a game end up on Game Face. So I'm going to start at the very beginning. I want you to understand all the work that goes into one game being reviewed on Game Face. Now keep in mind, in some episodes, I'll review three or four games in one episode. So just multiply everything I'm about to say by however many games you see in Game Face every week. So it all starts at the beginning of the month. I look at the release calendar and I see which games are coming out that month and I try to target which ones we want to include in Game Face. Now that can change. Sometimes games start building a bunch of hype when they're being previewed and that'll get the game on my radar and I'll slide that in. But generally, it's pretty easy to tell when the month begins. And obviously, producing dossier helps a lot with that as well. Um, which games we really want to target as far as covering in Game Face. So once I know what games we want to cover, then I have to start going through the process of trying to get review code. Now, we're a smaller outlet. It used to be, at all the other places I've worked, I didn't have to work on that at all. <laughs> Basically, I had to just contact my PR contacts, say, I'm now at Game Trailers, I'm now at G4, and they just immediately just started sending me the review code that they were sending me at my old outlet to the new outlet. It hadn't been a problem before. Now, when I first launched Sifted, People were on board with Sifted, but they kind of knew right out of the gate that it wasn't going to be as big as game trailers, at least initially or whatever, and they were right, and I knew that as well. So it's harder for us to get review code. So every month, I look at the games that are coming out, and I'm like, okay, we want to cover this, 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 and this. Then I start sending out emails to my PR contacts. And truth be told, I rarely get turned down for review code when I ask for it. There are a couple anomalies, and I'm not going to point them out because I don't want to call them out here in public. Um, even the companies that I struggle to get review code from now have worked really well with me in the past. And so if things change and someday I'm, you know, sifted a gigantic or I end up, God forbid, having to take in a job somewhere else, I don't want to burn that bridge. So I'm not going to bring up companies that we struggle to get review code from. But the fact of the matter is once I do reach out, generally I get, I don't know, probably 80% of the code that I request. Also, when I make those requests, I try to get an extra code for Matt so Matt doesn't have to buy the game to play it or whatever. Um, and so that's how the month starts. Then the game code slowly starts rolling in. Again, publisher by publisher. Sometimes we get it a couple weeks early. Sometimes we get it a week early. Sometimes because we're a smaller outlet, they don't send it to us until launch day. Um, generally, like Nintendo's code, we get maybe sometimes a day or two before launch, but usually on launch day. Um, and so once the, the code starts rolling in and I get a piece of code and I'm like, okay, 
I'm going to plot this for this episode of Game Face and give myself X amount of time, obviously keeping in mind what the embargo is and when the reviews are going to go up everywhere else around the internet. So once that happens, let's just say it's Wednesday morning. I've just published a new episode of Game Face, and now I'm like, okay, now it's time to start producing the next episode of Game Face. And it does happen that quickly. As soon as the episode goes up and you guys are watching it, I'm already working on the next episode of the show. At that point, I look in my email inbox and I start figuring out, okay, which codes have we actually received? If I haven't received some, then I follow up and say, hey, we haven't got this yet. Can you help us out? Blah, blah, blah. Once I have the code, that begins the real process in earnest. Now, I'm just going to walk you through this because right now I'm doing this with uh, Prince of Persia, The Lost Crown. It comes out like next week. I've had it now for a few days. So I'll just walk you through the process that I have done with this game in particular because I'm doing it right now. So Fortunate enough, Ubisoft loves us. Ubisoft sends us review code early for pretty much every one of its games. And so I do have Prince of Persia The Lost Crown at least a week before the game came out. Now, to be fair, we didn't get the review code until like the day the embargo broke for major outlets. So there's reviews out there from the big boys right now on the game. Um, but we can still cover it in time for you guys before it comes out so you know whether you want to buy it or not, which is really all that matters to me. So anyway, I get the code. Uh, first thing I do is I play the first hour of the game. So, boot the game up, sitting here, and you can't see it, but like we have a capture screen here, and I have all the gears here to capture footage at 4K, 60 if we want to. Um, so I boot the game up, and I turn down the music, as I've said a million times, I go into the options, turn down the music, and then I play generally the first hour of the game recording it. And sometimes I will add commentary over that. So for really big games that I know you guys are really excited for, I'll do like a let's play. You've seen this. I just did one with Starfield and a couple other games in Q4. Um, so sometimes when I record that first hour, I will do commentary over the top of it. If it's not a game that I feel like you guys want to see me play, then I won't. For example, I did not do it for Lost Crown because it's kind of a low-key game. It's a Prince of Persia game, but it's still kind of flying under the radar a little bit. So anyway... I record the first hour of the game with no subtitles and no music, roughly. Sometimes it's an hour, hour and a half. And then what I do is I take my console and everything out of here, and I take it out into the living room where I turn the music on <laughs> so I can hear the music and the soundtrack from the game, and then I play it on my big 4K TV with my awesome surround sound system, usually pretty much for the whole rest of the time I play the game. Um, and I'm not capturing footage or anything, but what I am doing per your question, is I'm taking notes in the notes app on my iPhone. So basically as I play, I just sit there with my phone beside me. And as I think of things or I notice things, observations, things that I really like, things that bother me or rub me the wrong way, I put those notes in uh, my notes app on my phone. And then I try to finish the game. Now keep in mind, a lot of times I'm doing this for three or four games a week. Don't forget that. So then I try to finish the game. I play as much as I can. And sometimes when you have multiple games in a week, you need it's hard to find the point where you stop playing one game and start diving into the next one. Because you want to make sure that you've played enough of it to give an accurate representation of the game to you guys. So you can figure out if you want to buy it or not. So generally, I usually play games at least 15 to 20 hours. And if they're really big games, I usually get close to 40 hours. That's just for one game in like a week. Think about that, people. Think about the time that I'm dedicating to this. So I play it. Again, as long as I feel like I need to, to be accurate when I represent the game to you guys. And then what I do is I come back here and I bring my console back here again. I hook it up to the capture equipment. And by now, I'm generally pretty good at the game. Um, I definitely know all the ins and outs of the game. I, I can look at the notes that I've taken and put into my notes app on my phone. And I can figure out like 
stuff that I need to capture that wasn't in the first hour. And usually that's going back into like the skill trees and showing the skill trees now that I've unlocked a bunch of it, uh, going to the map and showing the map now that I've unlocked that, um, any gameplay stuff that was introduced late in the game, any mechanics, any new weapons or things like that that maybe wasn't in the first hour. And basically, by, when it's all said and done, I have two hours of captured footage of the game. And then again, I take a look at my notes in my notes app and I'm like, what do I really want to talk about for Game Face? And that's when I start organizing my notes. So I take it, I copy and paste it out of my phone, send it to myself via email, put it in a Word document, and then I start organizing the notes. So I put it kind of in the order that we do our game evals. I'll have like a story section and then basically an options and design section and then like a graphics and sound section and then a gameplay section and then a progression section and then a value section. And we try to talk about the game in that very structured order. It doesn't always work that way. Sometimes we go on tangents. Sometimes Matt brings up something he's really passionate about inside a game and it flies off the rails a little bit, but that's generally how I try to structure it. And once I have that structure, my notes that I'm actually going to use for a game phase, that's when I go and cut the B-roll. So I have two hours of B-roll at that point from the game. I need to figure out out of that two hours what I want to cut down for the 18 to 20 minutes of B-roll that we actually use. So the piece of B-roll ultimately that goes into game phase is 18 to 20 minutes long. And I need to make sure that in that time, Everything that I want to talk about, or as much as possible, is included in that 20 minutes. So I have to edit that two hours down to 18 to 20 minutes, which can be tough at times. But it's very important, because even if I miss something, putting it in my notes, what I'm discussing with you guys, Matt and I watch the B-roll with you guys while we're recording the show live. And so many times, we'll see something in the B-roll and be like, ah, that's right, I want to mention that. And it's not in my notes yet. So that whole part of the process is very important as well. Actually watching and doing the show live, watching the B-roll as we discuss the game. So that's what we do. We get into the show. Matt and I try not to talk about like our impressions of a game before the show starts. There's a couple exceptions where like we may know the general direction we're heading when we talk about a game. We don't know what the specifics are going to be, but Matt may say, yeah, I'm not enjoying it that much. Or I may say, yeah, I thought it was going to be better than it was. Something like that. But we do not discuss the games before we go on camera on Game Face in any real sense of detail. And then we just, we talk about it on Game Face and we roll the B-roll live. And then you guys are awesome because you ask us great questions about it. And sometimes you see stuff in the B-roll that prompts you guys to ask great questions. It's a process that makes the show go. And you guys are a part of it. So, and then from then on, obviously, we just publish the episode. It goes up Wednesday morning. And then click, I start for the next week. And off I go again. So, again, just multiply everything I just told you I did for Prince of Persia, The Lost Crown, and think back to episodes we did at the end of 2023, where we had three or four games in that in those episodes. Think about the amount of time I dedicate to this job, the amount of work I do for this job to make sure Game Face is as good as possible. And I'll tell you what was really mind-blowing to me is the amount of work that I put into Game Face, and it hasn't grown more. It's like I watch all these other podcasts, and they're so lazy. Like, some of them don't put footage in it at all. It's just them sitting there talking. And sometimes I wonder, I'm like, why am I doing this? Why do I care so much? No one else seems to care. <laughs> Seriously. I can't remember the last time somebody was like, wow, that was great B-roll, Shane. Or, I'm so glad you put B-roll in game phase. Or anything like that. Like, you guys may not care either. If that's the case, maybe I should stop doing this because it's killing me. <laughs> it is killing me. It is aging me. It is, it is the reason I am overweight. That's just the truth. I don't have time to work out. I don't have time to do anything 
but this job. It really would be great if we could generate enough revenue that I can start paying people to do stuff so they don't have to do it all. That would be awesome, but that's just not the way it is right now. So my goal is to make Game Face as good as possible. It is our flagship show. More than Pactor, it is the show that brings in patrons. It is the show that pays the bills. It is the show that brings in all the sponsors. So there's nothing more important than making sure that Game Face is as good as possible. And I hope you guys can see that there's a lot of work that goes into it to make that happen. All right, our next question comes from Fruit Eater. China just reverted its laws against gotcha mechanics, daily login rewards, etc. after the stock prices of major Chinese companies plummeted. I guess you simply, quote unquote, don't mess with the money. However, some European countries have banned similar practices like loot boxes. What's your opinion on these monetization practices? Do you think any other country will make these changes? If so, which country do you think is next in line? So I have definitely talked about loot boxes on Ask Shane Anything at least twice. However, this show's been running now for like five or six years. Things change. My opinions on things change. That's okay. Uh, I think your opinion is supposed to change and morph as you get new information or understand things better or differently. Um, so, yeah, I'm guessing my opinion on loot boxes has probably changed since I talked about it last in this show probably two and a half years ago or something like that. And that was back when loot boxes were a huge topic. You guys were asking about them all the time. You guys were asking Pactor about them all the time. And I think more than anything, that anecdotal evidence kind of shows you kind of where it's all gone with loot boxes. And I think what's really happened with it and I'll get to how I feel about it in a minute. But I think in generally what's happened with it is that people have learned that they exist. They know how they work and they know where they're usually going to find them. And I think people have learned to just avoid them. For the most part, people are like, you know what? Those mechanics are in a lot of mobile games, in a lot of free to play games. Now, sadly, they do creep into some premium games that we're paying 60 and $70 for. And that is where it really goes over the line for me. But... I think generally most people just accept like that's a monetization practice for mobile games or that's a monetization practice for free to play games. And I think people have just kind of accepted it as a part of the industry, a part of how games are financed. Now, to your point, I think some other countries are slowly learning the hard lesson, which is that generally players hate it. <laughs> They hate gotcha mechanics, they hate loot boxes, they hate anything where it just appears random and luck-based. I think most players, if you'd ask them, would say, I want to be rewarded for what I actually do. I don't want to be just randomly rewarded because that algorithm says that, you know, when I roll the dice, this is what should happen. Matt's big argument against Baldur's Gate 3, to be fair. So I think people have organically moved away from those types of games, those games that have those types of monetization practices and what you're seeing is that a lot of the developers in China have relied on those tactics for way too long. And truth be told, it's worked. A lot of the mobile Chinese gaming companies are gigantic. Look at Tencent. Tencent now owns huge chunks of the AAA game development market because it was so big in mobile and gotcha stuff that it grew its revenue to a point where now it can dive in and do real big budget game development, which I think maybe altruistically, I hope that's what all of those publishers are trying to do. I think I may be a little naive on that one, to be honest. But but anyway, China has been known as like the gotcha capital. All the games coming out of China generally have gotcha mechanics in them. And now they're feeling the pinch because people are turning away from those types of games. So I think that's what's happened in China. And as far as like Europe being more proactive against this stuff than America, I mean, it's kind of that way with everything. Think back to um, the Activision Blizzard acquisition in Europe. 
they had bumps in the road. They had to do this weird thing where they licensed Game Pass to Ubisoft, and now they have to pay Ubisoft. And it's just this weird convoluted thing because in Europe, they were way more concerned about the concerns of Xbox owning Activision Blizzard. In America, it passed through. It was a little bit of a bumpy road, but it did pass through without having to have any of those concessions like they had in Europe. So generally, I feel like the consumers are better protected in Europe than they are in the United States because let's just be honest, the United States is just like unfettered capitalism. And that can be awesome at times and that can be awful at times. And in this case, I think it's kind of bad because the way our government and our oversights are set up, they're basically set up to just try to generate as much profit as possible through capitalism. And they don't protect, and I believe, they don't protect the consumers as much as they should. So I think that's why you've seen this stuff happening in Asia or in Europe, because they protect their consumers more. Um, what are your other questions here? Um, what are my personal opinions on it? I think it sucks. <laughs> like I, I think loot boxes and like gotcha mechanics suck. I'm, I'm in the camp of like, I want the results of my gameplay to be a product of what I've done playing the game, not just whatever luck I have when I hit like a stupid spinning wheel or whatever. So I think they suck. I understand why they exist. I do understand, sadly, why they haven't been thwarted as much in America as they probably should be. Um, but I think China is just learning a lesson that sometimes when you get greedy, um, you get burned. And so, you know, the thing that they did with like, oh, their stock prices are plummeting and now they've removed all these restrictions that they had before. Like, I don't know that that's going to fix anything. Like, honestly, like allowing them to use these mechanics that a lot of gamers have already decided that they hate. I don't see that turning the stock prices around. I think more likely some of these Chinese developers need to learn how to make good games that they can sell for 60 or 70 bucks if they really want to do well. So, you know, making mobile games, free-to-play mobile games with gotcha mechanics, I mean, you're rolling the dice just making those games because it just seems completely random on whether they hit or not. So, again, I don't think if you're a developer that going into these type of games is a good long-term strategy. I think consumers have started to figure it out. I figured it out a long time ago that I hated gotcha mechanics and I hated loot boxes and I hated kind of monetization. I think slowly the general audience who plays a lot of mobile games are also starting to figure it out. And it feels like a lot of them have decided they'd rather watch ads than deal with some of this other stuff, which I've talked about with Pactor talked about recently. And we kind of talked about this stuff in last week's episode as well. So anyway, that's how I feel in 2024 about loot boxes and gotcha mechanics and mobile monetization. I think it sucks. I understand why it happens, but I do think consumers are getting smarter and they're starting to turn away from it. All right, our last question for this week's episode of Ask Shane Anything comes from Cinetike. Hey Shane, what do you think about DLC? Do you engage with it? Personally, I struggle to play DLC since it usually comes out many months after the base game, and by then I've moved forward with many other games, making it hard for me to go back. What's the ideal delay time between when a game launches and its first story DLC? How do I feel about it? I like, like it in concept. Like, I... I think it's cool that now if you really, really like a game, that when you finished it, it's not necessarily over yet. And eventually you could get more of it. Um, I don't think there's anything wrong with that. I don't think there's anything wrong with it from the publisher's perspective. Like, giving us more of what we love is never a bad thing. I will never complain about any company doing that. Whether it's games or food or whatever else, I think it makes sense across all industries. Um, if you give us more of what we like, I think that's a good thing. So the principle of DLC, the idea of DLC, I have no problem with. I've been a PC gamer pretty much my entire gaming career. And so I've been into expansion packs and updates 
far longer than most console players have, have have because, you know, it's been a thing in the PC gaming industry for a really, really long time. So I think that kind of like uh, ingratiated me into it way before it became a thing on consoles. The biggest concern I had about consoles and DLC was consoles having hard drives was that publishers would get lazy and release broken games. And that is exactly what has happened. Um, now publishers can release a broken game and like, ah, oh, we'll patch it over the next couple weeks or whatever. That was my fear with putting hard drives in consoles, and sadly that has come to fruition, but cost-benefit analysis, I would argue that I'm still much happier overall that these consoles do have hard drive for myriad reasons. So, anyway, how do I feel about DLC? Love it. Love the concept of it. Love that fans get more of what they want. Now you're asking me, how do I like how it's executed? And this is where I agree with you. I consume far less DLC than I want too. I know that may sound confusing, but what happens is these I play these games. Um, Horizon Forbidden West is a good a good example. I play these games. I love them. I mean, I, I spent sixty some hours with Horizon Forbidden West. Um, finished the game. Still really hype on the game. And then I come and talk to you guys about it on Game Face. Talk with Matt about it. Gets me even more excited about it. I'm really hyped. And then it just ends. It ends. And then we sit and we wait. Not only do we wait for the DLC, we sit and wait for the announcement of the DLC. Now, some publishers and developers have got smart, and they've actually started, like, announcing the DLC before the base game even comes out. And again, I think that's a smart tactic. I would, you should do that. If you know it's coming, tell them right away. However, you have the layover, the layoff between when the base game is... You finish the base game, and then they announce the DLC. And this is for 80 to 90% of most games. And then you have the delay from when they announce the DLC to when it actually comes out. And I would argue anything longer than like a month is too long. I am with you, Cinetyke. Um, There are games that I absolutely love. I love the Resident Evil 4 remake. I have not gone back to play any of its DLC. I love Horizon Forbidden West. Now, I did go back and play its DLC a little bit. But typically, I do not play the DLC at all. I never do. And to your point about, like, I've moved on to other games, boy, have I ever moved on to other games. I just talked to you about how every week I'm on this squirrel wheel playing three games, four games a week, trying to get them into game face. I have to move on. So unless it's a really slow week in game releases and we need to cover DLC to fill a hole in the show so we have interesting stuff for you guys, I don't play DLC. And as it's worked out, at least for the last, like, couple years, there have been so many game releases, we haven't really had to rely on that to make sure we have enough content for shows. So I'm with you. I, it's not that I necessarily lose interest, though I do. I lose the passion for the game. And you have to have the passion because, again, with these hard drives only being a gig or even less on PlayStation 5, you have to delete games. You get more games, you delete them. And then the other prospect of it is like, okay, it's four months after the base game came out. Here comes the DLC, but now I need to re-download 120 gigs of the game and then another 15 or 20 gigs for the DLC, and I don't have room on my hard drive and I have to delete a game that I'm currently playing right now. All of that stuff plays into why I hardly ever play DLC. Here's the problem, though. The Catch-22 is that if they release the DLC too close to the release of the base game, then what happens is you have people who complain. They say, oh, you have the DLC done already. That should have just been a part of the main game that I paid $70 for. You're trying to charge me an extra 10 or 15 bucks for this content that you already had done. Y'all, us, are the problem. Because we basically have demanded, like, you can't put out DLC right away after a game is finished. You gotta wait. Because otherwise, we think that you're ripping us off. <laughs> and as it turns out for me, through that whole process, it makes me not want to play it. What an epiphany I've had right now just sitting answering this question. 
Um, it is a catch-22. And so I don't know if the publishers will ever do it. Now, if we would lay off of them and let them do the things that, the way they want to and just say, hey, you know what? That base game, it was already worth $60 and $70, or it wasn't. And not weigh in the fact that there's this DLC coming later on and have it affect it. So, again, it's a catch-22. It's a chicken or egg thing. I think I said this about DLC last week <laughs> in a different context, though. Um, and so I would like to see the delay from when the base game launches and the first DLC launches, again, I think a month max, because it's not even that, like, the downloading and the loss of the passion, it's like I've forgotten stuff. I've forgotten how mechanics work at that point. I've forgotten s plot points at that point. Sometimes, before I play DLC, I need to go watch, like, a wrap-up video on YouTube to remember exactly what happened in the base game because sometimes DLC will go off on this very like minuscule tangent like this little piece of the plot from the base game will spiral out into the DLC and you may have completely forgotten the context for it so there's a number of reasons why DLC doesn't sell better than it does I'm sure publishers would like to sell more of it than they do but again we we complain when they put it out too close to the base game and so they wait too long and then a lot of us simply just don't care all right that's it for ask shane anything i can always tell when you guys have asked a great set of questions when i finish and i'm like wow i came to conclusions that i didn't have before i answered those questions and i think that happened with all three of them today so good job guys uh, thanks for watching thanks for supporting those of you who are pledging at seven dollars or more per month at that ask shane tier that's why this show happens. If you guys weren't doing that, it would go away. That's just the honest to God's truth. I do enjoy doing it. I'm not going to lie. Um, but financially, with I, you know the things I talked about earlier with my time, I would not do this unless you guys showed me that you really wanted it with your pledges. So thanks again to everybody. Um, again, actually anything is going to roll pretty much until the end of January. And then in February, we'll start mixing it up. We'll still do two episodes a month, but then we'll do two other things on Fridays to fill in those blanks. So anyway... Thanks to everybody. Have a great weekend and go Steelers.